Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John Damaris, and this week we have a very special guest from across the pond, Matt Robertson with his sister's army. And joining me as always is my co-host, Nick Nanavati, who doesn't really need an introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. He's one of the best players in 40K, and uh, he's going to help us break down this list. Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce Matt, and then we'll start talking about his list. Yeah, Matt's one of my good friends over across the pond in Wales. Um, he was my co-partner, uh, one of my teammates on Team England last year for ETC, uh, which we brought home. He's been my teammate on the Adepticon team tournaments as well, so we Matt and I go back many, many years. I think all the way back to my first ETC in 2012. Um, yeah, he, he plays a lot of offbeat lists. That's kind of his thing. He loves being creative with his list of st- styles. Um, really doesn't do what you expect him to do with his list construction or how he plays, uh, which creates some really interesting games, and he finds a lot of hidden gems out there. So, Matt, thanks for coming on, and why don't you tell us about uh, what your list is for Sisters? Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, like Nick said there, Sisters were, when the new book came out, a little bit different, so I thought, you know what, I've got all the models, I'll have a bit of a look through these, and then this list is what I took to uh, the most recent event, which was a mix between uh, just general Eternal War and Maelstrom missions, more ETC style. It wasn't quite a 20 nil system, but it was a sliding scale still. It was like 6, 9, 12 kind of thing. So the list I took had a, a battalion detachment, which was Celestine, a Canoness, a Inquisitor, three squads of five sisters. So just your basic, and they were all Ebon Chalice, just to get the Warlord trait. Then I had a detachment, which was a missionary, three squads of nine Repentia, three squads of nine Zephyrim, uh, a Repentia Superior, two Rhinos. And then the last detachment was the Triumph of St. Catherine, and a Magifier, and three to two Mortifiers. Interesting. So... That's there's a lot of unique stuff now. Of course, we're talking about sisters here, so everything is going to be a little offbeat. Um, but you have a lot of unique units for sisters too, like the triumph and mortifiers are units that I don't really see people talking about or running competitively at all. Um, but first, before we dig into the specific choices of your list, why don't we just kind of explain what the strategy of your list is? Like, what is it here to do? I don't really get that either. It's kind of the previous versions were very combat orientated and. It's a very fragile army, so it does rely on running around and hiding and picking its fights, with everything being toughness three, the majority. And it just tries to have a good scrap and have a fight, basically. And then, okay. So it just plays 40k while hiding. I gotcha. Pretty much. Then The mortifiers give it that little bit of range fire, which were interesting. But again, yeah, they were... Yeah, two heavy bolters each, right? Yeah, it's quite nice because they can become assault when they advance. So 
no matter what, you can always get them firing. Is that a stratagem or is that a rule they have? Uh, That's just their rule. So they're heavy bolters. If they advance, they can choose to become assault weapons. Oh, well, they can just choose to become assault in general. So you don't take the penalty for moving. And the heavy flamers, if you give them that option, they can choose to become pistol D6 rather than heavy D6. Which gets quite They're not too expensive either. Being uh, 50 points or something? Yeah, they're roughly... 60 points-ish, 55-60, depending on which build you go with. Gotcha. Okay, so um, let's start from the top. What is the point of the Triumphs in this list? What does the Triumphs do for those who aren't familiar? So the original choice of putting the Triumph in the list was more of a, okay, let's go see what it does, see how I find it in games rather than just a few practice bits and pieces. So the Triumph is basically... Uh, an 18-wound character, so can be shot at. It's toughness 3, so pretty squishy. Uh, she is infantry, which is nice. You can benefit from cover in different She's ways. Infantry. She's got like a 70 mil base or something. How is she infantry? It's just little sisters walking up some stairs, right? I mean, I, I, I guess it is just a bunch of... For those of you who haven't seen the, the Triumph model, it's literally a funeral procession. It's like 10, 12 sisters or whatever individually holding up like a coffin or something so it's like a unit but it's one character rules wise it's very and then all her rules are a little bit crazy she's like a decent model in herself she has a four of invon she's minus one to hit she can't go into transport because that'd just be a bit silly but then all the other bits she gives your army like she gives you an extra miracle dice every turn so that's two every battle round extra she auto passes morale within six she gives plus one to hit rolls. She lets you do an extra act of faith. She lets you change dice the same as a Dialogus would. So she's just got a lot of little weird interactions. Your, your army a lot better. And how much is she? She's one 185 points? points. Ooh, that's kind of expensive. Do you find her worth it, I guess, is the million uh, Yeah, I was really, really impressed. That was the first event I took her to. I'd only played one or two practice games beforehand. But I found she's able to hold her own in combat against smaller squads. Even like a decent character that comes in, she's got 14 attacks on the top profile. And mostly strength 5 and strength 6, so it's not too bad. But she just lets the rest of the army do its thing a bit better. And you can't ignore her because of all the buffs she's putting out. But then she, even though she's squishy, you do have to actually invest to take her down. Do you find people often just killed her very quickly on turn one? She is just 18. She's basically 18 sisters that are very vulnerable to multi-damage weapons. Well, the, she's minus one to hit still with a four of invun. And you've uh-huh. always got miracle dice you can use because you're going to have at least one for the battle round, at least one for her being there. So you'll start with two. And then she can change those dice up on minus one. And it's also another thing when you've got Mortifiers, rhinos, her. It's just different. Right. Op- it's what just different options. Yeah. yeah, especially are you going to shoot the thing with the four up invul when there's rhinos and mortifiers that have no invul? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but she's also useful for helping keep the rhinos and stuff alive because they've got the six up invul. And then right. you can, if you get a five and a dice with her, oh, that's a six. Cool. Oh, for miracle dice, that's pretty cool. So you can just pass last cancers randomly. Yeah. That's- if you just want to be annoying, if it's like the last last cannon shot coming in, you're like, yeah, no, that's not going to do anything, thanks. 
it just throws your opponent's game plan knowing you've got that tool of being able to just change those dice around. And there's also a stratagem that lets you change your miracle dice too. Um, yeah. So just combining those two, I could see being really powerful. Yeah, she's just a good utility piece. But like you say, if she does draw all that firepower, turn, normally I found she went down turn two, turn three, uh, which by that point she's given you some buffs and she's kind of getting stuck in a bit and has to be dealt with. Turn one, she has bolt pistols as a ranged weapon, so she's not a direct threat to somebody, but she kind of is a threat in other ways, so still can't be ignored too much. Um, cool. So... How do you usually use her? Are you deploying her kind of up front to give all the buffs, get into combat, and be a, a real problem for the opponent? Or do you try to keep her back to keep her alive as long as possible so she can hand out buffs uh, without really contributing and putting herself in danger? Well, the main problem is with the rest of the army wanting to go forward, I'm kind of using, if she just sits back, most of her buffs are six inch range. So she needs to be going up forwards with everybody else. And a, a lot of the time, depending on the event, obviously, you may not be able to hide her because she is about eight, seven, eight inches tall. So it's a, it's a big model. So it's hard to hide. Yeah. So, no, I'm really glad you're, you're saying you're using her and to success at no less. She's a very interesting piece. Unlike something we've seen before, basically an 18 toughness three character doesn't really exist. The characters with 18 wounds are like giant monsters like Mortarian or they're, Small characters, under 10 wounds, you can't shoot them. So it's really interesting. Um, One of the things I think is kind of interesting about her is you can't really leave her unchecked for six turns, right? Because that's a lot of free miracle dice and a lot of like a lot of buffs. Uh, not to mention the work that she does, but she's kind of a lever for your army. So, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, um, I, I just feel like she she almost has to go right. Doesn't shouldn't she's she like be a force multiplier? multiplier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't sure going into the event about her because I looked and went, oh okay, it's eighteen wins, toughness three. Does she do that much? But then I found in games, just those extra little bits and pieces were really handy. I'm, I'm glad you found that because when I I have been dabbling with sisters myself recently, working on building up a sisters army, and hopefully we'll be streaming that for you guys soon on Art of War, but uh, or the the Twitch channel and the the worm. But I looked at her, and I was really underwhelmed. I was like, you don't do anything. Why don't I take you? So I'm really happy to see that you found success otherwise. Um, you've taken a departure from this list uh, compared to the last one. The last one had, like, Repentia, three squads of Repentia, if I recall. A lot of Seraphim, a lot of Zeraphim, or Zephyr, whatever they're called. Um, why have you gone away from that route? Now you're taking Mortifiers, the Triumph, all that stuff. It was more going into the event. I knew the terrain was going to be okay. However, a lot of the line of sight weren't ruins. They were just rocks and boxes and things like that. So it wasn't very infantry friendly. Right. So you couldn't really move through and around stuff. And where you could hide, it wasn't really the best positional. So I knew that going into the event. And I just thought, you know what, having that little bit of punch from the mortifiers and some actual shooting in the army because my previous lists have had like 12 inch guns so it's been great uh having those few heavy bolters just helped a little bit and the triumph was more of a okay this it's a good practice event let's go see what happens 
Yeah. So do you think if you had uh, you know, more traditional ruin type of terrain, your other list would be stronger, or do you think this list works better overall? Um, if you'd asked me that before the event, I'd have said, yeah, the other list is better. Coming out after the event, I'd probably look at trying to put Catherine into that list anyway. The mortifiers, I don't know. They need a little bit more testing. They were really handy and really useful. However, I've done more fires myself, and I, I've considered like a unit of six of them, just making use of the stratagems to fight twice or advance and charge really effectively, because you can do some cool stuff. Like they move nine, if I can't remember correctly. Yeah, you you can't have six man squads anymore though. Oh, what can you get to? Four. Oh, there, there was an FAQ that? for that. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. It's still decent. However, it's still decent. I, yeah, I think yeah. I tried them in three twos more because of what I could get hold of in the two weeks in advance. Sure. And I was also thinking with this list, if I wanted to go to Adepticon and use something similar, I know there's not going to be terrain there for that blocks line of sight, just because they're not set up for that. So I thought having a little bit more unorthodox, I need the board control, I need the middle of the board. Mortifiers would have been good at that setting and those missions. So it was more, because we should have been there now, uh, thinking for that and thinking, you know, it's a bit fun, something a bit different, let's give it a try. Yeah. So uh, how, how do you find them on the durability scale? They're just toughness five, four up armor, six up invuln. They're not hard to kill. Uh, only five wounds each or six wounds each? Uh, five uh, wounds each, yeah. Five wounds each, yeah. So do you find they just kind of die when your opponent shoots them? That's yeah, them. I found, depending on, because I, I, I was running two-man squads, it was reasonably easy to hide two of them for a turn or two if I needed to. Right. And I could throw them up. I could run two of them out and because of how hard they do hit they can't be ignored so if you're throwing this 120 point blob which can run pretty quick especially when you've got the miracle dice and yeah your so whole army cool touch on with the sisters do you want to explain how sisters can be deceptively fast with miracle dice for advancing and charging and all that yeah so one of the buffs you can give your whole army is plus an advance and charge in certain matchups if you need it that's one of the that's, pure that's sisters option for being pure sisters. They also have the strat to advance and charge. And when you've got miracle dice that you can change or you may just have a six out there. So these mortifiers are moving nine base plus your six plus one advance. You're moving 16 inches plus a charge. Yeah, because you can use the miracle dice to just make your advance super far. And you can even use miracle dice for your charges to make them super far as well. Yeah, so they have a deceptive threat range. And especially when... When those two little models, they can get through gaps and such. Mm. And it's 30 attacks when they charge in, hitting From on threes. Yeah. How does that work? Uh, you give them the flails, so that splits uh, every attack they have into three hit rolls. And then because they have four base plus one for having a pair of flails. So it's 15 attacks each. Uh, weapon skill three. They go up to strength six, minus two AP, one damage. Damn, this is cool. Yeah, so I, I realized they hit hard, but I didn't realize it was thirty attacks hard. So you don't you don't get bothered giving them the other weapon, which is basically uh, more like a power fist type thing to make it hit harder. No, I found if you've got that many attacks, you yeah. should be able to go through things, and you've got like the backup squads, like the repentance and other things, to hit bigger stuff. Yeah, but I thought if you throw, as I was saying, two of those at somebody, they can't ignore it. So it's going to draw fire away from 
the Triumph, the Repentia, the Zephyrin. It's kind of just picking when, go. Picking yeah. that turn and your opponent's going, oh, crap, uh, what's the threat here? So it sounds like you're playing a very kind of control the board by having massive threat range style armies. Um, through Zephyrin being able to deep strike and charge reliably, because one cool trick they can do, guys. Uh, we talked about it in the episode with Andrew Gagne when he was on to talk about sisters, but they can deep strike. Uh, they're pretty hard hitting combo. We'll cover that in a second here. Um, and then you, like we said, use Miracle Dice to make that automatic charge, basically. Um, and then he used apparently the pen, the, the mortifiers can go crazy far and repentia as well with the miracle dice tricks and the advancing and charging. So is that is that like fair to say, Matt? Basically you're just hanging out hiding and waiting for someone to basically approach the middle of the table um, to maybe capture an objective or something or play 40k with you, and then you go pounce on them? Yeah, a lot of the time because it doesn't have the range firepower. It relies on hiding and just kind of waiting. For people to commit and because in this game you've got to get the objectives to get the points and you've got to try and kill a lot of the time for different reasons right when people if you try and do that against an army that wants to fight you okay great and even when you put like a little five-man sister squad on an objective if someone comes in and goes i'm going to wrap those guys okay what guns do i have that i care about yeah, you don't care about getting rounds. You're a, you're a combat army, which is very deceptive because you wouldn't think sisters are a combat army. A bunch of straight three girls. Why don't you explain uh, how beefy you can make these squads of sisters in combat? How it all works. So the with the sisters army, you look at each individual unit, and they're good, but they're not great. The real strength, like Nick says, is coming from all these little buffs and different bits and pieces. So, for example, I'll take Repentia because they're probably the most efficient hitter unit in the book. So they base have two attacks, which is okay. And the base from six, minus three AP, two damage, but you're minus one to hit, so they hit on fours with a reroll. Then when you add the Bloody Rose, they get an extra attack when they charge, are charged, intervene, etc. So they become three attacks base the majority of the time. Then if they're near a priest or a missionary, they get plus one attack, so they're going up to four attacks each. Uh, the Repentia Superior can give them real ones to wound. And then you can also potentially have an Imagifier with plus one strength. So all of a sudden they're four attacks each, but strength eight, minus four, two damage. Hit on fours with a reroll, and then do it strength 8, re-rolling ones to wound. So they will kill a lot of things that they touch. Yeah, that's there are absolutely brutal. other ways to buff them. So rather than Bloody Rose, you could go Valorous Heart, which is what a lot of people are doing with the Exorcist kind of build. And they're still working that because the Rhinos are really hard to crack. And their strat is plus one to, is ignore hit modifiers. So you can all of a sudden go, ah, I'm just hit on three as we roll in now. Yeah, I, I had my one sister's list that I've played a game with so far. I had a solo exorcist in Valor's Heart. Just to have a, a small Valor's Heart contingent, you have really tough sisters. Basically, their shtick is that they're, they ignore AP minus one and have six of female pain. And then if you have an Imagifier, uh, you can take the tail of 
I forget what it's called, to ignore AP minus one normally, but if you already do ignore AP minus one for Valor's heart, you ignore AP minus one and AP minus two. So you have an exorcist, it's pretty tough to kill, some pretty tough to kill sisters. You can ignore AP minus one, two, and then the strat to ignore hit modifiers can be crucial in those turns you have to advance, or maybe you're playing Chaos or Eldar who can stack tons of hit mods on a unit. Just really useful tech. Yeah, so I think that's what a lot of the more traditional sisters builds you've been seeing have got. They've got more Valorous Heart with bodies of sisters with all ignore minus two, six up female pain that can kind of take the board by the exorcist with the firepower. I've just kind of gone a different kind of route and just gone, I'm going to pack as much damage in. Yeah, I don't have the range. Yes, I'm not as durable. It's just, I think the both ways work. I think it just depends on personal play style. Yeah, I think, so the one is definitely more defensive and hoardy. I'm just going to stand here and exist at you. And then your style is much more, I'm actually going to kill you. Yeah, it's got a lot more threat potential. However, if something does shoot you or gets a swing at you, you're probably going to lose a unit. Yeah, that makes sense. So does that mean that you're sort of playing more of a peace trading style? You're sort of picking your engagements and trying to get like an alpha strike and then whatever you attacked with gets destroyed is that sort of the play style yeah so it depends on like what it is you're playing against but a lot of the time if people move up to try and screen off the zephyrim kind of thing you get okay what are they screening with what do i need to commit to to make sure they die but then just accept that's going out with your toolbox that's gone and then make sure you've got enough back still sat there to go okay so then this Zephyrin are going to hit there, and then the Repentia can go over here, and your Mortifiers can run up there, and just kind of pick your fights a bit better. But because you've got that reach, a lot of the time you can pick your fights better than other people. Um, so what's interesting to me is you're not running Seraphim in this list. Um, your last generation had three units of Seraphim, and they are one of the most points-efficient units out there. They're 11 points for a Flying Chick with a 3 bar or 4 Vinville. Melta pistols that you can deep strike and shoot in the moment phase to clear screens for maybe your Zephyr to shoot into. Why have you gone away from them? I love them so much, like you just said. Every time I looked at dropping them from the list, I kept going, but it's two points more than a sister, a 12-inch move. Uh, okay, they, they are amazing. They're, oh, they're amazing. I just thought, with the Adepticon pack in mind, I kind of looked at them and went, okay, they're not going to be able to hide. So if they come on, they're going to die very quickly. And I just wanted to try and cram as much pure offense in and go, if we're going to fight in the middle of the board for the objectives, which is what the majority of Adept Commissions were, let's just take as many units as I can that we're going to fight and have a scrap in the middle. Right, right. They don't matter to your strategy yet. Adepticon specifically, which is pretty much all board control. Yeah, so it's kind of going into that uh, kind of route. Uh, I did find the Mortifiers played a similarish role, however, in a different method. As How so? They give you that little bit of reach and the little bit of firepower just to go, oh, those um, little screening squad there, I'll, I can just shoot that off. And then if you want to throw something decent as a screen, I'm okay with that because I can just go and punch that. A lot of armies don't have enough little screening units to zone you out especially when you've got Zephyrim deep striking in which they need to zone and stuff coming into the front they kind of don't want to give you anything to wrap as well yeah 
So I kind of found they were useful for just going around the sides, shooting off little units, charging off, picking off little things. Uh, obviously, the Seraphim are amazing at doing that kind of thing as well. They just kind of filled, they did that job to a lesser extent, but added another aspect of that punch in combat as well. Right. Well, Seraphim don't actually suck in combat because, like you said, you can make even regular battle sisters hit fairly hard with. Uh... <laughs> bloody roads and all the buffs going and you get your pistols to AP minus one as well yeah um, I think it's because they're strength three a lot of the time I found they were okay with just against yeah, little things not, they're often not near, near the imagifier I could see yeah. that so did you not miss the trick to so basically there's a trick guys for Seraphim and Zeph from comboing Seraphim has a stratagem it's one CP it allows you to you can deep strike naturally because they have that rule and then when you arrive from Deep Strike in your movement phase, you can shoot immediately and all your your pistol weapons get 12-inch range. So you can take four Melta pistols in that squad or hand flamers if you prefer. And the plasma pistol. Uh, and the plasma pistol on the superior. I don't see anyone else taking that, but I'm a big fan of that plasma pistol. I, I love that on that one. Yeah. Maybe one, not all three squads, but just that one you need to do the job. Yeah, so the idea here is you Deep Strike in, you spend your CP, you shoot immediately, you clear whatever screening, crappy scout squad, guardsman squad, whatever is in your way. Then you deep strike your Zephyrm into the hole you just created. Uh, and then you charge away with your Zephyrm with Miracle Dice and, and kill lots of stuff. Zephyrm hit really hard in close combat. Um, so not even having one squad means it's not even available as an option to you. Did you find that was a weakness to your list? Uh, I thought it's great having that option. I just kind of accepted that I may have to delay the drop for a turn and throw a Repentia squad or maybe choose one of the three Zephyrim squads a turn earlier to go and clear that screen. Uh, it was just kind of one of those things where it's an amazing tool to have. I just accepted, okay, I'm just not going to have that. But let's see how it copes without. Um, there's situations where it would have been nice to have, how it wasn't necessary all the time because you do have other options you can mess things up in other ways right right hey um, man i've got i've got a question but uh before i ask it i just want to quickly have us pause for a note from our sponsors this episode is brought to you by hp instant ink no one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. So Matt, I, I see that you have a couple rhinos in your list. What are you normally loading in those rhinos? Like, what's their purpose? They are the Repentia caddies. So every game, each rhino gets a unit Repentia. Character-wise, depends on the matchup. So the priest normally wants to be near the Repentia, so he normally goes in one. The mistress Repentia normally takes the other slot. However, there are situations where you may want the Inquisitor further forward, you may want the Imagifier safe for a turn if you, if you can't hide, you've got lots of snipers, etc. 
but they're just there to either get up into position or just give you that little bit of extra speed turn one but just keep them safe for a turn from indirect or any random bits and pieces that could be coming their way that makes sense do you often find yourself to point that rhino far back to be out of line of sight or are you fairly aggressive with it uh i think it depends a lot of the time if you go in first you can be aggressive and then push up into midboard with somewhere where you're hidden i don't think you want to leave it out in the open too much because if and when it does die because they're not that tough you're then repentier i sat in the open and we'll just get blasted off the board if there's yeah. no bus nearby so I think it's keeping it hidden, but just being able to move up into position. Uh, they're also great for just charging things because they can eat the overwatch that the rest of your army doesn't want to take. They can just tie random squads up and stop them doing what they want to do. It's just another blocker, something else you can throw at people to get in the way. Yeah, that makes sense. Rhinos are just good value. Uh, I wish they were a little bit cheaper. Yeah, I would love to get the third in that list. It just... I can never seem to justify dropping anything for it. Right. You think the mortifiers are... You don't want to take less mortifiers? You think three squads and two is where it's at? Yeah, I think one mortifier probably doesn't do anything. Whereas the third rhino isn't critical, I found, a lot of the time. It's just a nice, like, buffer. Whereas yeah, quality life upgrade. One on its own is for a mortifier isn't doing great. Two in a squad then has to be dealt with. Yeah, I was thinking maybe you could just cut an entire unit of mortifiers. Do you think you have enough, you have too many units or that they're redundant? Uh, or do you think you have enough units? I don't think the Rhino's that critical to like go out of out your way for that. Because right. a lot of the time when you've got those, you just kind of, one unit can just run up the board or just hide anyway. It's quite hard to hide three holes sometimes as well especially as they can't move through ruins, which you're seeing a lot of on boards these days. Right, right. They do. They are clunky for sure. Uh, especially, like, if you hide them in a ruin to keep them alive, then moving them out from that ruin gets a pain in the ass. Yeah, especially because you've probably got everything else hiding or pushing up the board nearby. you kind of getting your own way a little bit. Definitely. So, um, this does bring me... To another question, uh, you mentioned your Inquisitor sometimes going to the Rhino. What is the Inquisitor doing here? Like, why, why is there an Inquisitor in your list? He has the Terrify power, which are casting a 6 plus on a unit with an 18 to uh, stop them overwatching. That's pretty useful. Um, is that that's literally the only reason? Just another way to get Ignores Overwatch into your list? Pretty much, yeah. Because for 55 points, he's a handy little character anyway. But in some matchups, say you're running to Tau, you can't, if you're just going combat, which my list has done previously, uh, you can't just run and run bodies into Tau. You need that little option or just some other tricks just to be able yeah. to actually get into them. I don't them. care how many times you try to charge them the old fashioned way. Yeah. And then other things like if you've got Centurions running around, Centurions don't mind. Repentia charging them because they'll kill them on Overwatch. Right. However, if they don't get Overwatch, then they mind Repentia charging. Cause... Oh, this is something I always struggled with with the no Overwatch spells and stuff. Um, it's not ultra reliable for you to pass it. Like a six is not crazy, 
but it's also failable. And denies exist. Um, with an 18-inch range, you might find yourself in deny range more than you care for. And with a, a power like no overwatch, is obviously so strong when it works on the right unit, that kind of thing. But you can't really play around failing it too well. So let's say you, you're in that scenario against Tower Centurions. Let's use Centurions because I actually have denies uh, in Space Marine Arm. So... You run forward with your Repentia, you, you advance them if you need to, you spend the CP so you can advance and charge, you're right in front of the sense, and then you fail the no overwatch power because dice are dice. How do you get around that as a player? I think a lot of the time I've kind of only been going for those plays when I needed to. So if there's other ways of getting something else in from behind, like a Zephyr in, in somewhere, I'll have that option there. So if the spell fails, something else will go in to tag that Overwatch or just take it out of right. the way or use the Rhinos. But so it's backup plans, basically. Yeah, I think it's having that tool, though. If your opponent knows you can just turn off that Overwatch, then yeah. they have to adapt to that as well. So it kind of works both ways. Right, right. So you're getting value out of it even without it working because your opponent has to play differently because you have that threat. Like He has to assume you're going to pass it. Yeah, because if you do pass it, they're in big trouble. If you fail, if even if you go in with a re-roll, you fail and you lose a squad of Zephyrim, etc., you normally, in a position where everyone else is sat there, you've got that buffer. That's why I like trying to overload the combat threat in the list I've run, so that I can throw a unit away. It, oh no, it's failed, it can die. I've got five of the units that can do the same thing. It's not the end of the world. My game doesn't revolve around that one unit doing this job. There's redundancy right. in that. Yeah, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, I forgot my question. Uh, John, do you have any questions you want to ask for now? Well, I try to remember mine. Sure. Um, how how does your, your list handle like board control situations? Um, like, how are you, how are you, if you need to hold something, what are you using to do that? Uh, normally if it's like objective placement, I'll try and get them somewhere where I can hide. Normally if it's ruin, which you've seen a lot of these days, I'll put it so the objective can be either side of a wall. So no matter which side end upon, there's multiple options. I can get it from either side and still hide. If I have to hold an objective in the open then I will try and provide enough threats or enough other options that that unit on the objective can't like be dealt with that turn because if they deal with that, they're not dealing with anything else. Or some yeah, of the you're times, making the opportunity cost too high for them, right? Like if they take that unit standing back there on the objective off, then they're going to get punched in the face by something that's going to hurt them really bad, right? So Yeah, or just accept, okay, I need that objective. It's stood in the open. If it's suicide going there, how much do I need that objective? How critical is it? Does hold well, you also it. have a lot of tricks, don't you? So there's a strat to come back to life with the character. So you could just run a character out onto an objective. It's going to get shot in the face, no problem. It dies, obviously, and then you just resurrect it for 2 CP at the end of the phase, so you can't, your opponent isn't able to just continue shooting it after it comes back. So you can guarantee hold an objective through tricks like that. Do you, is that something you ever make use of? Yeah, it's nice having all the little characters. Like I keep looking, should I drop 
this character or that character, and then going, but they they have their uses for just running out and just being a pain, like you say. You could just sit a character on objective middle of the board, and depending on the army, if they have shooting and combat to kill it, maybe not the best idea. But if they only play in one of the phases, then yeah, like Tower Eldar, I'm thinking come to mind, especially Tau. They literally only shoot. Yeah, especially when you've got Celestine as well, who can do the same thing. It does now and again. You can calculate your gamble and just go, okay, yeah, she's going to go there. I'll just she's going to draw a lot of fire out, and then okay, she's going to get back anyway. Yeah, but I mean, she doesn't cost you CP to get back. No, but you can only do it once per character. So I do find sometimes it's. How important is this character? What threat are they going to do? Can you do it on do? the Triumph? No, you cannot do it on the Triumph. Yeah, that'd be so good. Yeah, none of the named characters can use that strat. Makes sense. So what other cool tricks do often find? I think Sisters are a hard army to kind of break down for you guys. Uh, their, their strength is in the subtleties, which is not overly strategic. It's very opportunistic. It's, you're kind of going in with the game plan of, I have 10 million tools in this toolbox. I'm going to pull out every single one I need to for this specific matchup. So the matchup portion is going to be very interesting when we talk about that. But what are some general strategies and cool tricks you found with your your litanies and your or not litanies, your your relics and your um, stratagems and all that stuff? Just general stuff. Well, if I was going up to an opponent at the start of the game and they were like, "Okay, how does sisters work?" I t- generally tend to say, "Whatever they want to do." They're very efficient at doing that. Because with the option to just swap in Miracle Dice to things, if they need to make a charge, most of the time they'll have that pocket of dice they can use to just make it. And then they've got strats, like Nick was saying, to you can bring a character back, you can advance and charge, you can retreat, shoot and charge. Uh, it generally sounds like you're making a lot of it up when you go through things with your opponent. <laughs> It feels like Eldar sometimes we like, just assume they can do it. There's a strap for that. So they, yeah. they have a lot of flexibility, and I found they're not amazing at doing anything, but they're just they're good and reliable. So you know going to, you need to make that eight-inch charge to win a game with a sister's army. You make that eight-inch charge. You, don't, there's, you take away the chance aspect of it, which I find is the strongest thing going for them. So you can plan your turns a lot better. Right, right. And I think that's one of the things that a higher skill player definitely appreciates, more so than someone who's newer to the game or less adept. Um, the the way top level 40k is basically won and lost is through risk mitigation. Players often take less risky plays at the cost of reward just because they know what they can get out of it. They know they're not letting themselves lose to bad dice rolls or anything like that, which is why when people blame dice for the losses, I'm like, no, you could have just played better. And they wouldn't see it, but that's not here or there, I guess. Um, sisters take that to the next level. They say, I can't fail. Like a lot of armies, like Thousand Sons, can do all these bonuses to cast with rerolls and whatnot. Sisters literally can't fail. It's pretty nice. Yeah, it is annoying because you can get games where you just roll ones and twos and all your miracle dice. Well, there's ways you can manipulate your miracle yeah. dice. Um, this is what I was kind of getting at. How, what do you take from Relics and Warlord traits to, to do with that? Do you take any specific for miracle dice help? So I, I normally go with an Evan Chalice Warlord. 
maybe an Evan Charles detachment, maybe a mixed, because the detachment buff is nice, but you don't really need it in a lot of matchups. But the Warlord trait is key, because that gives you plus D3 command points, and the dice you get to start the first battle round for your Miracle Dice is automatically a six. So just having that in your pocket at the start of the game can make your opponents think about things a little bit. And then there's a Relic, which you pretty much see in every sister's list, which allows you to re-roll Miracle Dice once per turn. And the way you gain these, uh, for those who don't know, is you get one at the start of every battle round. There's a Warlord trait you can take, which gives you one if your Warlord is alive at the start of your turn. And then if you pass a Morale check on a one, if you deny a Psychic Power using these sisters in eight 1d6 deny, uh, then you gain one. If a character dies from the sister's army, they gain one as long as they don't get back up. Uh, if you kill a unit, then at the, en- at the end of a phase, you gain a dice. So you can get dice. Normally you can get two or three a turn reliably once the game starts to commit. So first couple of turns, you can end up with a few, not too many. And then as the game progresses, you kind of snowball this pool of dice, which gives you those numbers you need to do the key things like your charges or your saves here or there. Yeah. So what do you typically use Miracle Dice for? Uh, like, obviously, we talked about how you use them for charges and key saves. But are you aggressive with your Miracle Dice usage? Are you very conservative with it? Because once you use them, you have to re-roll it to get that. You have to generate more to get them back. Yeah, uh, I think early game, it you have to be quite resourceful with them, I think. Uh, as you only get one for the first couple of battle rounds, and then you're probably only killing stuff in the shooting phase, maybe. So you're probably only getting one or two extra. With the Triumph was really nice for that because she gave you more to be a little bit more disposable. Uh, but I think once the mid-game comes on, as long as you've got those ones for your charges, if you've got a few spare, might be like a key save and a character. Or just if there's one guy left or girl left in a squad, the last save, you might just keep one dice to the side, roll however many you need, and go, oh, actually, okay, yeah, I'll use this one. Just keep that one model alive here or there. And even like the rubbish dice are useful for morale checks. And there's another stratagem where you can change a hit, wound, or save roll uh, by discarding up to three miracle dice. Obviously, your ones are auto fails for certain things. But that could just keep you, oh, my three. Oh, actually, I'll turn that into a four, so I pass that save. Oh, yeah. I had a, I had a game the other day where I was playing, and I had Celestine fighting uh, Demon Prince in close combat, and she had to take a bunch of saves and she had not many wounds left, so it was very risky. Um, so I first spent a Miracle Die for up to just pass a save. Then I took a bunch of saves. I failed two, and I used that stratagem to change, to scrap away some crappy Miracle Dice to flip it to a to turn my like two that I rolled or whatever into a four, so it passed. And then I also CP re-rolled uh, a save and passed that. So I took three three failed saves and turned it into no failed saves, essentially. Yeah, you can make characters like super hard to kill or like single models with like those three little tricks there, especially when you can do that and then bring it back at the end of the phase anyway. 
Yeah, exactly. You, make, you work so hard to do nothing, essentially, as the opponent. Yeah, they're super like weird little tricks like that you can do. Whereas I normally do that, but you have to be careful when you're doing that that you don't just fast dice roll and then change one and re-roll one. You have to kind of uh, go save, 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 save at that be, point. Yeah, because information changes. I think that's I definitely cheated with that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you have the slow dice roll, which is taking one save at a time. Because you can't know how many saves you fail altogether. Technically, 40k is done one one die roll at a time. Yeah. Just don't play that way because that's insane. I find a lot of the time what I'll do is let's say I've got seven saves to take. I'll go okay. Here's four because I I can only control three of the dice. So yeah. here's the first four. Let's see what happens. Okay, and then I'll try and save the re-roll or the four on my dice and auto save till the last one. Just depends what's more critical at that point your dice or your command points which is the more valuable resource right uh that makes sense to me the the world traits you chose were interesting so you said you go for ebb and chalice which gives you that first miracle dice is a six and you get one to start the game and d3 commit points it's a very valuable world trait but this is a lot of other world traits too um you can make a really insane smash cannonist uh, basically, they have a relic for Teeth of Terra, so, which is the same as Teeth of Terra. So what I mean by that is plus one strength, add three attacks, minus two AP and two damage. Give that to a Bloody Rose Cannonist, and she gives herself plus one attack in the first round. So she starts with four base, five for Bloody Rose, eight for Teeth of Terra, nine for a Priest. Um, she can be plus one strength from a match fire, so she's straight three base, four go from Bloody Rose, or four from the weapon, and five from in a Magifier. AP minus three in the first round of combat. So nine attacks, AP minus three, two damage, straight five. And then a warlord trade allows her to reroll the wound. So that's obviously going to shred tons of stuff. And reroll charge. That also lets you just gain a miracle dice at the start of your turn. Or start of the, I think it's turn or battle. Yeah, the start of your turn. Um, so there's a lot of competition for warlord trade too. You have the stratagem to buy one extra warlord trade. Um, and then there's also the warlord trade, of course, for plus one aura. Plus one invul within six inches of whatever model has that warlord tree. So there's, I just listed four off the bat that are really strong. Why do you go with the ones you do? So I tend to go with the command points and the miracle dice and the six, just because having those command points means you don't have to take another battalion potentially. So you're not taking normal sisters, which are good as Valorous Heart because they don't die. But they don't really do anything, yeah. No, they don't have a lot of damage output. Uh, so that's really handy. Having that six at the start of the game, you could roll that anyway. It's just, it means you've got that threat turn one. Your opponent has to evaluate that when they're doing whatever they want to do. And then I tend to go with either Beacon of Faith, so you get a Miracle Dice at the start of every turn, or the Indomitable Belief to give you that extra... Um, Invun save because you can combo that quite nicely with one of the relics which gives plus 3 range to auras so you can make that a 9 inch bubble of plus 1 Invun uh, normally on an Imagifier or something like that so their innate buff becomes 9 inch as well and then with Celestine you can, you can get 2 bubbles of plus 1 or Uniferta is another option I've looked at in mixed lists uh, so she can go in She's slightly cheaper than Celestine if you just want something to give you another bubble. 
the righteous rage, like you say, reroll charge, reroll to wound when you go in, is great. Uh, however, I found initially the first couple of lists and events I went to, I was taking a cannon S with those kind of build. And then I just found a lot of time people aren't coming in enough to her to be able to hit back. Right. That makes sense. There's You just want more consistency out of your army than uh, necessarily damage output there. That's, yeah. really, that's the strength of sisters, I guess, is that they're so consistent, so just invest there where you can. But I think with this book, though, you can go down so many different routes and so many builds. Like I've gone combat heavy. Some people have gone more shooting and survivable and then thrown in these bits of combat. And I think every unit in the book, bar one or two, you could feasibly use in an army. And then they will do a role. They've got enough little subtle buffs and tricks and things that you kind of round out any of the units to kind of do its job as well as it can do. So I think there's a lot of play in the book. I'm quite looking forward to... Well, I was looking forward to having months and months of testing all these (laughs) random ideas, but... (laughs) Right. Well, hopefully we'll get back to that soon. Yeah. Uh... No, that's this is awesome. Uh, great stuff, Matt. Uh, really excited to jump into part two of this episode where we talk about all the little tricks actually applied in individual matchups. Um, I'm very curious to see how you handle armies that just try to shoot you from across the table, stuff like that, um, like Eldar and Tau. But, uh, John, are there any other questions you'd like to ask for this episode? No, I think we're, we're in a really good spot, and I think that's a good intro into episode two. Patrons, we'll see you over there where you can jump in and we'll talk about individual matchups and and all kinds of cool nitty-gritty details of our optimal play with the list um if you're not a patron it's really a good value so if you go to aow40k.com you can sign up and become a patron and get access to that episode but also get access to 30 plus other episodes second episodes that are very similar from great players like richard siegler and all the rest uh, last thing i'll just say really quick is just remind everybody that you can find us on the frontline gaming network which is a great place for competitive players, especially in this time with COVID when you find yourself with more time to fill um, if you're, as you're hanging out at home and socially distancing. Uh, there's, there's great competitively focused podcasts uh, all across the way. So, Nick, was there anything else you want to say? No, I mean, aside from that, you can Art of War, the War Room, and my Twitch channel and all that stuff is still very functional. We've ramped up our production during these trying times to give you guys some more content to consume while you're bored at home. Um, one thing I think a lot of players are feeling is kind of 40K is boring at the moment since there's no events happening to generate some excitement. The meta is still shifting, though. The top players are still practicing. I live with them, I promise. Um, they, I'm still in chats with all these other guys, like Matt's still innovating, Sisters Lens. You can see it still forming. You want to be the guy who's been thinking about 40k and planning 40k for the power along this last, not coming out of this as the guy who hasn't touched 40k in two months. So just some advice to you guys. Uh, if you're interested in getting in keeping your skill at 40k or improving in general, don't use this as a break. Use this as a, an opportunity to get much better at the game. Oh yeah, Nick, that's a good thing to highlight really quick. If you want some more content to consume, why don't you tell people about your new Twitch channel and kind of explain what's going on with that? Because I think people will be excited about that in this time. Yeah, I'd be very happy to. So we just launched our Twitch channel, guys. Uh, it's twitch.tv slash AOW40K. Um, we are going to be doing bi-weekly streams, so two streams a week. 
where we play top players against each other. So last week, we just launched it on Friday. Um, I played Chaos versus Richard Siegler's Farside Enclaves. Really great game. You can catch it there for, uh, I think it stays online for 14 days. We just played that. Uh, let's see, this episode airs on Wednesday. So we played that like five days ago. So it's up for nine more days or so. Um, and if you're not a patron and you're listening to it on Monday, then you have about four more days to catch it. But that's uh, that's one episode, one game. And we're doing one more game tonight on Wednesday or Friday, so two days from now. Uh, this is assuming you're a patron. And then, yeah, we do. We're going to just keep ramping up the production there. So those are not coaching games. I know I've talked about coaching games a lot on this podcast. Uh, I do still do coaching games, so does Richard, so does all of them. We do that in the War Room, which is our private subscription page. That's where we really teach you guys and, and focus on why we're doing what we're doing and what other opportunities we could be taking or not um, and giving you our mental thought process. But this is some content. I'm sure if you watch it, you'll probably also improve and gain some knowledge. Uh, but this is just stuff to, to generate some excitement for 40K in these times. All right, patrons. We'll see you over in episode two. And uh, everyone else, peace and love. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.